the podcast was inspired by a poem in a movie called The Gray. And the poem goes something like this. Once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day, live and die on this day. Welcome back to In the Fray. My name is Edgar. I'm Melissa. And today we're going to be answering some questions that are common, I would say, once you start doing jiu-jitsu. And also just kind of touching bases on the... Uh, famous uh, Tyson versus uh, Jones Jr. fight that happened on Saturday, the 28th. And I think we'll get started with that one real quick. Sure. So for those of you guys that don't know, you know, Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson, Dynamite Kid, fought uh, Roy Jones Jr. And Mike Tyson is 54 and Roy Jones Jr. is 53, I believe. Um, so, you know, they're calling it, you know, legend versus legend. Which right, rightfully so, um, it's an ex- it was an exhibition fight, which means that there are no judges, no official score. It's just two people agreeing to have a hard sparring session. It's pretty much what that means. Mm-hmm. Now, um, do they typically turn out to be that way? No, not really, because if you have two individuals such as these two, uh, with their pride and their ego. You know, having a, a very um, illustrious, is that a word? <laughs> a, a very good uh, career in fighting. Uh, they're not just going to let someone else make them look bad. Yeah. You know? And so there was a lot of hype going up into this fight because, you know, people were still reminiscing about the old Mike Tyson and Roy, Roy Jones Jr. knockouts. Um, but, you know, it's. Two older guys, two older fighters. They've been through many, many fights. Their bodies are not holding up as well as they, as they would be. Someone who hasn't fought like that, right? But so the fight pretty much just went on um, how I I expected it. Uh, I know I saw a lot of uh, a lot of people were complaining on social media that they were just hugging a lot. That uh, Jones Jr. was constantly trying to run away and not let Mike Tyson uh, get get on in on him. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what you want to <laughs> that's do. That's a game plan. That's that's what I would do if I were in uh, Jones's uh, shoes. You know, game plan would be either keep him at the distance or completely clinch him up and uh, never stay in the mid range. Uh, it's kind of like in you know in jujitsu we have the green red green, which is green is where they can punch you and you can't really punch them. The red is where they can punch you and you can punch them. That's your most dangerous. And the gr- and the second green is when you are clinched. You you've taken away their ability to punch you uh, effectively. Um, but uh, yes, he did do a lot of a lot of that. Um, I, I've seen the highlights. I didn't get to see the fights uh, going live because I wasn't going to buy the pay-per-view. But um, I saw the fight afterwards and I saw the highlights and whatnot. And um, yeah, it looked like Mike Tyson still has um, a little bit in the in the gas tank, a little bit in the basement. Um, one key difference though, and, and I've heard a lot of the boxing experts say this, and this is, and this is true, I agree with this, is that uh, 
Roy Jones Jr. had a very good career, but his boxing ability came from his athleticism. Uh, whereas Mike Tyson, he has a very solid foundation, in my opinion. And he built athleticism on top of that. And so now that they're older, their boxing styles... Um, you know, it, it'll be a testament to their boxing styles, I, I would say. Mike Tyson still looked like the Mike Tyson of old. Slipping punches, head movement, good footwork. Always being in good position to throw his famous body shots and to the head. Well, what did he say about, has he been training at all? Or did he just start training when this came up? He uh, just started training. So he has not been sparring or no. fighting or, or working out or anything this no. whole time? No, this whole time. It's this been, whole time? Yeah, it's been 15 years since the last time he actually worked out, he said. on a That he's worked out at all? Period, yes. Wow. On an episode of a Joe Rogan podcast, um, he, he made that uh, revelation to where if he works out, then he f- has this crazy inner voice telling him you're gonna fight to, to fight yeah to because fit. since yeah. he was 12 years old him working out was an end to the means yeah i can understand that um and so and he's like you know i he, if you know mike tyson he's very conflicted with his old self with his persona right with how he was when he was growing up when he was a young man you know going to prison rape allegations and whatnot and he'll say you know i'm older i'm Hopefully, I've learned from my mistakes. I was an idiot. Um, and I don't like that person. I don't like that Mike Tyson. And I associate working out with that type of personality, that yeah. person. And um, it just brings back these demons in my head that I don't like. So that's why he didn't work out. However, um, his wife noticing he said on another podcast noticing that he was getting extremely overweight kept nagging him and telling him you know like hey you need to work out you need to do this you need to try you need to eat healthy period and so um he said that one day he was just like you know what you're right fine i'm I'm just gonna i'm gonna do a quick 20 minute uh jogging session on the thread on the treadmill that his wife has in the garage um and he said before uh, before he realized that he was doing two and a half hours wow. just running and he's like and that's what I was talking about like I just get into that zone and I just lose track of time and that's it but Jones Jr. he's been fighting overseas this whole time or no? yeah he's been fighting last fight last fight he had was in 2018 I believe 2018 2017 something like that um, so he's been active fairly active and um, that's what makes it even more impressive with Mike Tyson and, and how good his fun foundation, his fundamentals are in boxing. He is that great cardio. If he hasn't worked out this whole time and then he jumps on the treadmill <laughs> yeah. and two and a half miles well, or two he, and a half hours. Yeah, well, he's a huge advocate about, you know, like mind over matter, right? Like yeah. once you set your goal, he just gets tunnel vision and he has to do everything he can physically to get it done. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, and so he said that uh, people started talking and whatnot, and they they approached him about doing an exhibition fight for charity. And he's like, "Oh, I think that'd be cool. You know, I think that'd be a good idea. It'll it'll give me an, a reason to get back in shape." Mm-hmm. And 
I believe they went through a list of like eight or nine people that turned that said no. That said no. Yeah. And then uh, Jones uh, Jones Junior's name came up, and he agreed to it. He said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Let me know when." And then that's when Mike Tyson started taking his training seriously. Mm-hmm. So he's had about I would say about three months of actually training for a fight. Um, and it showed. Like I said, it showed during the fight. He was he was slick. He had very good timing, good good head movement, good jab, good just good positioning all the way around. Um, and again, that's just a testament of him being a student of the game, knowing his body now. He's older. He understands his body. I would say uh, he understands what he can and can da- cannot do inside the ring mentally. Um, and you know, one of the other things too is that he went in there because it was a good time. Um, he didn't go in there because he needed the money. He didn't go yeah. in there because he was uh, needing the fame. Um, any of that stuff. He just went in there because he loves boxing and that is who he is. And when you go into a situation like that where you have no pressure on yourself, you get to perform. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun and, and you get to enjoy the moment. Um so that's good on him, but Roy Jones Jr., uh, you know, his athleticism, it just wasn't there. His footwork, it was good enough to keep him from not being hurt too badly. I know he had mentioned in the post-fight interview that somewhere in the at the end of the first, mid-second round, Mike Tyson managed to get in a couple of body shots on, on him, and he said that he's never felt anybody hit him so hard like Mike Tyson did mm-hmm. and um, and he also said that Mike Tyson is extremely strong like he looks stout mm-hmm. but it's like 10 times worse mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think that's just because Mike Tyson knows how to use his body too yeah you know it's not just raw strength he actually understands his mechanics uh, but it was a good fight I would say it was what it, it was a lot of people want to tune in because they wanted to see knockouts and whatnot, and from those two guys, and trying to relive, you know, the old glory days. But it was not that. It was just two guys still loving, still doing what they love to do. I know Mike Tyson donated his whole fight purse of ten million dollars to charity. Wow. Yeah. Um, Roy Jones Jr. got paid three million dollars, is what they reported. So overall, it was a good paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> I know the rounds were, it was eight, eight rounds, two minutes a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, they are three-minute rounds in professional boxing. Um, but because it was an exhibition, they said two minutes because these guys are really old and we don't want them to hurt themselves. Not that old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, by, you know, by fighting standards. It's, yeah, well, by fighting standards now, the age is increasing. It is increasing. You're right. I remember when I was uh, little, when I was about you know, 9, 10, and I was starting to get into boxing, like watch it as a fan. Um, man, there would be announcers talking about, this guy is 25 years old, and he's he's getting to be pretty old now. Like, mm-hmm. He's getting ready to retire. He's got about two more fights, and he's done. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was just like, Wow. Even as a little kid, I was just like, if I ever choose to do something like that, I'm already too old. <laughs> like, I've already started way too late. Yeah. 
but now, like you said, uh, it's a good point. Is I that mean, a lot of MMA fighters? I don't know about boxers, but they're in their forties. They are in their forties. They're the major. I would I won't say the majority, but a handful of MMA fighters actually get their like best their best. Yeah, like from thirty two to about thirty eight. And the ones that take care of themselves very well, they they end up pushing into mid forties. I know Randy Couture, he was the UFC champion at forty five. Yeah, he won the belt at forty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, retired at forty seven, I believe. So that's that's incredible. I don't know about boxers, but I I mean, typically though, boxers take a lot of more, and I think a lot more head damage. They do take more head damage. The one thing about boxing too is that. Um, Boxing is kind of weird where MMA, because of so many uh, aspects that have to be done with MMA, there's no real off season, mm-hmm. you know? And so even when you get done with the fight, most guys will take about a two weeks off. Yeah. And then they go back into the gym to do some wrestling, to do some jujitsu, work on the heavy bag, whatever it is, you know, to keep themselves mm-hmm. going. Because they know the opportunity is going to knock on the door, right? But in boxing... It's you go through like three or four months of extreme diet, extreme training. Once the fight's over, you they usually go back to like another three, four months of just nothing but partying and not not being they, in the gym. How often do they fight? Um, they fight about three to four times a year, depending okay. if they have good fights. Um, once they are uh, like in the upper echelon, once a year. Well, how old is uh, Manny Pacquiao? Manny Pacquiao is 42. Well, there you go. I believe. Uh, yeah, and uh, Mayweather just turned 40. Yeah, I mean, Mayweather just fought. Um, I mean, he didn't fight. Yeah, but I was going to say. but boxer. Yeah, but, but these guys, though, I mean, like Manny Pacquiao and, and Mayweather, you know. Uh, I, I know Mayweather, he's constantly in the gym. He's always working out. He's I, always doing something. Well, that's what I don't see how you spent your whole life doing that. Like, even with jiu-jitsu, like. You think you want to lay off for a while, but you know you can't really lay off for more than a week. Yeah, you can't. So I, I don't see how people who you know been boxing since they were like nine years old or twelve years old. Or well, it's because there's a lot of uh, tra- like tradition, I would say, in, in boxing. A lot of old timers, you know, they would say after you get done with a fight, you need to stay away from the gym because they wanted their fighters to still be hungry, hungrier when they come back. Mm. They would kick them out of the gym and be like. Yeah, go live your life. Go you take get care of yourself. Fat and yeah. out of shape, and you just got it. That's really not smart. It's not, and it's not good on your body. It's not, but you know they, they had good intentions by keeping the, by keeping them outside of the gym because they did not want their fighters to take any additional damage, you know, from sparring. Yeah, but not you realizing can still spar and not take like head trauma. Yeah, but that see that kind of mentality is still new in boxing. Mm-hmm. In boxing, it's usually was you spar hard. All the time. All the time. You hit the focus pass. You do the road work. You, you hit the heavy bags. And then when you spar, you spar hard. And and it's every single time it's a hard sparring session. You know, that's how you get better. That's not how you get better. You know, we've, we've learned now through science and with the inclusion of MMA, we figured out that sparring hard is actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do need to spar, but head trauma is a real thing. And so a lot of times boxing now is borrowing this from MMA is where they will spar like 20-30% 
you know, power to the head and 80% to the body. Yeah. And that's good. You still keep your reflexes sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always add power. If you have power, you can always add power. Right. But you're not taking any unneeded damage. Right. Um, because I know the old boxing coaches that I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet in the past, you know, that's how their mentality was. They'd be like, yeah, you know, oh, you just fought and you're back in the gym. Like, you're crazy. You're going to burn yourself out. Like, you need to go home. Go go have a life. And then uh, when we have a fight schedule for you, come back and we'll get started again. Yeah, that's yeah, that's just hard. That's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah, it is hard to do. And Especially when you gain like 20 pounds, you know. Or, yeah. I mean, it, and yo-yoing your weight up and down like that is really stressful on your body i would say that's more detrimental to your mental to to your brain yeah but some guys just they just drop the weight like they'll just starve themselves or dehydrate themselves or whatever which is horrible yeah you know they keep doing that it always bugs me i always wonder like you know how much stronger how much faster how much quicker would somebody be if they were at the weight they needed to be at and just stayed there and and didn't it's, deplete themselves from yeah. all the liquid and the hydration. I mean, in a perfect world, you know, that that would be great. But a lot of times, like, for example, myself, I, I'm short and I have a very stocky body. If I were to, even when I'm in, when I'm in really good shape and I'm walking around at the optimal weight, I'm still very, um, uh, what do you call it, like, I would still be like very underdog when it comes down to it because uh, just because of the physical aspect of it. I would still be carrying, you know, when fighting another person, walking the same weight as I am but maybe being a little bit taller, uh, just boxing in general, that would be really hard uh, on me because my reach would not be as long and once I would be able to get inside into like the clinch work, uh, I would be carrying their weight. They would be leaning on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why they would, you know, try to... Yeah, but some guys, like, just totally balloon up. Oh, yeah. No, and some guys it's do. ridiculous. Some... Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, like I said, every, pretty much every famous fighter that you can think of, in between fights, they're about 50 pounds overweight. Yeah. One of the most famous one was, uh, Hands of Stone, uh, uh, Roberto Duran. He beat Sugar Ray Leonard, gained the title... And he went on a parting spree. Gained about 40, maybe 60 pounds. Maybe exaggerating there, but for sure 40 pounds. Uh, three months later, he had to have the Im- immediate rematch. He had to give the rematch back to Leonard. This whole time, Leonard was, training. was back in the gym training. Yeah. Keeping his weight down, keeping his speed, keeping everything optimal. Yeah. And... Um, so when it came down to actually train, I think he only trained for about a, a month for the rematch. And the whole month he spent it losing, losing that weight. weight. Yeah. And when it came down to weigh in, um, he he made weight, but they said that he suffered extremely. Yeah, your brain <laughs> suffers. Yeah. Um, not just your body, your heart suffers. And that's when the famous, <laughs> yeah, and that was the uh, famous uh, no mas fight. Yeah. When uh, he ended up giving up. He said no mas to uh, the referee. And it's because of that he could not hand, handle the constant pressure. Mm-hmm. His mind was already weak from being dehydrated. 
Yeah. Um, his body was weak from not recovering properly. You know, drinking alcohol and eating whatever he wanted. Yeah. Staying up late, whatever. Never recovering. Yeah, so that was pretty bad. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, I think more, as more science is being involved, I think boxing, this kind of sounds bad, but let me there's just say this. science to that. Well, let me just say this, is that as the old boxers and as the old promoters pass away it'll be good for boxing mm. because those guys still hold on so tight to the old traditions mm-hmm. and the old mentality of how to run a, a promotion and how to uh, promote a, a fighter um that it, it's killing boxing so as they pass away that would be the best thing for the sport mm. um all right so or retire or retire. Well, they don't really retire. They're just like Bob Arum. That dude is like a scumbag. That guy's like 80-some years old, and he's still promoting. He's still doing his shows, and it's his way or the highway, but his way is very, very old school. Like, he will have a fighter undefeated, but he will pick and choose his fights. Well, that's what they always did. Right, but even now, it's even more relevant. Like, now they have, like, here's the second debate with boxing. They have, like, six different belts for the same weight class. They have the regular weight, let's say, like, 155. They have the lightweight champion. And then they have uh, something they call the super lightweight champion. And then they have something that would be, like, the um, television lightweight champion. The international lightweight champion, the yeah, I don't ever understand the um, rankings. It seems yeah, it's just way too complicated. Yeah, so they have like the same promotion for the same weight class. We'll have like four or five different belts, so they'll have four or five different champions, and they will never fight them against each other because that's bad for business. They say, but it doesn't make sense. It does not. But here recently, you know, because like. With uh, the UFC, with uh, Khabib and Justin Gagey, like 155 uh, weight, class. weight class, you know, they're always about who's the best. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put the best against the best and determine that. Yeah, but, you know, they always pick and choose. They always pick and choose when they're starting. And, you know, lots of people um, will um, refuse. No, refuse. Oh, yes. You know, I mean, how many times, you know... Um, you know, people just never end up fighting somebody because they just refuse, and then they finally get out of the business, and they're like, "Oh, okay, now I'm I'm ready to fight now." Oh, all the time. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like that's like that's the shady aspect of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And those are tactics that now, because of the UFC and MMA in general, um, those are not accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, I mean, Dana's pretty popular for this. For if a fighter refuses. Uh, uh, fights, uh-huh. they get cut mm. immediately. Like I think they have it in the contract to where uh, it they might give you three choices, and you give them your your like from one to three your choices, mm-hmm. and then if you refuse any of them, they might give you a fourth choice, but like eight months down the line. Yeah. And then if you refuse that, then you get cut because mm-hmm. they're like, what are you here for? Right. You know, are you here just to say you're a UFC fighter or are you here to actually to fight? fight yeah. um, so that's always been a, an argument with some of the uh, 
old school promoters that come into the MMA. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so going back to the uh, Tyson and Jones fight, I enjoyed it for what it was. Great job on both of those guys. Um, they did they did great. I would say they they put boxing back on the map even for one night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, real quick on that fight card on the undercard, which is now a very infamous fight. It was a fight between a guy named Jake Paul versus Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson is a basketball professional player, um, all star. Very, very good guy. On the undercard of... They were the co-main event. Oh. Yeah. For charity. Yes. And so... This uh, guy's a professional basketball player. Retired, yeah. Oh, retired. Yeah. He was not a boxer? No. Okay. And so... I, I don't know how that fight got, got match, but I agree with what they say. Whoever did that, they need to be put in prison. <laughs> because... Um, you have a basketball player who has no business being in there. Not because he's a basketball player, but because he obviously did not train for the fight. You know, And if he did train, it was very minimal. Well, maybe he thought it was just going to be you know, a charity event. Again, my point that I said earlier. Their names show. Yeah. What I said earlier is that they're exhibition fights, but they're supposed to be hard sparring, but they're not. Yeah. They're, they're hard fights. Yeah, but maybe he didn't realize that. That's not his fault. That's the fault of the people that signed him, you know, that, that like work with him to get him ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kid, Jake Paul, he's some sort of YouTube guy. Uh, so the guy's 22 years old, going up against, uh, you know, professional basketball player. And the basketball player gets knocked out. Like, I don't know. To this, be honest, this kid just trained to fight. Yes, so this kid, yeah, this he's this never you fought before. The basketball player? No, that kid. No, he's fought before. Oh. Um. So the other guy, the Jake Paul guy, YouTube guy, this is his second professional fight, quote unquote, or second boxing fight. Um. And so, what happened here? About two years ago, I believe, they he decided that he was going to be a professional fighter. So he started training. Just uh, boxing? Boxing. Oh, okay. He's a wrestler oh. um, by trade. He When he was in high school, I think he was like a state champion. He was a, a big prospect. Hmm. But he decided to do his uh, YouTube personality instead of going to further his scholastic hmm. career through his athleticism. But... Um, so he decided that he was going to be a, bo- a fighter, a boxer. So he started training how to fight. He started uh, going to all these famous boxing coaches and gyms and sparring and learning. As, um, I mean, obviously he has a lot to learn, but he, he already understands what it's like to fight uh, you know, against good guys. Mm-hmm. And he himself is not afraid of getting in there and mixing it up. And the way how he wrestled was very aggressive. And so he naturally brings that aggression into the boxing. Mm-hmm. And that's how he overwhelms his opponents. Like He gets right in their face and just, just hits them as hard as he can every single time. Um, well, that's what happened. He, and uh, Nate Robinson got knocked out. And oh, he round. was... I think it was the first round, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't see the fight, 
but it was uh, it was embarrassing. I, I will say that it was embarrassing because they just did not prepare Mr. Robinson correctly for this fight. Was he okay? Uh, I think he's he's good now. I think he's fine. But yeah, it was not. Uh, How many fights were there? I think there was like five, five or six yeah. fights. Yeah, it was not a good. Uh, it was just not a good showing. Let's see. Was the the basketball player? Was he really tall? They're both tall. Oh, they're both. Tall. Yeah, they're both finding the cruiserweight, which is about two fifteen pounds. Wow. Um, let me see here real quick. So it says here he was about four inches taller than Jake Paul, and. 13 years his senior. Mm-hmm. Still a young man. Still a young man, for sure. Um, and so this was his boxing debut. Hmm. He started boxing. It says here, he started boxing for the first time after he called out this guy, this YouTube guy. Oh. He called him out to well, be part of this event. Well, I mean, <laughs> can't really feel too sorry for him. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's what happened. And, uh, man, yeah, he laid him out uh, first round. Hmm. First round dropped him, and it looks like in the second round he finished it. Hmm. Let's see. Well, I mean, you can't really... It looks like he was he was going kind of gung-ho, the basketball player, so... Yeah, no, yeah, it was in the second round. Yeah, and so... Yeah, it was pretty bad, man. Like it was bad, bad. Uh, he was out cold. It looked like the um, Rocky Rocky Four when he fought the uh, Russian Rocky versus Drago. It's like, and when uh, Drago uh, killed uh, Apollo in the exhibition fight, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like that. Um, but yeah, no business being in there again. It's exhibition charity, but whenever I hear exhibition fights, I understand that. People show up ready to kill each other. You know, and that's, it's dangerous to get, you know, hit in the head like that. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's no joke to get knocked out or get hit in the head like that. It's, it's no, dangerous. it's not. Yeah. It, it is. And, um, but it just goes to show you too, man, you know, like, I've, you know, we've always heard this, you know, they say you can play basketball, you can play baseball, you can play soccer, but you cannot play fighting. Yeah. No matter how light you spar, you you're not playing really. You're mm-hmm. you're still <laughs> you're still learning how to put another person unconscious mm-hmm. on the ground. And things happen. And things do happen. All right. So moving on. Um, I wanted to do a couple questions or or answer a couple questions that uh, for me, anyways, have been common. Um, from people that are inexperienced and experienced. Um, so we'll just kind of get into them, all right? Some of them may be ridiculous. Some of them may not. Just bear with us. It's a common one that I get asked, and it says something as, uh, can I use cross chokes or Ezekiel chokes when I am on the bottom of side control to create space in order for me to escape or finish the match the answer would be 
No. <laughs> you don't want to go for a cross choke when you are stuck in the bottom of somebody. Uh, you are exposing yourselves, exposing your arms, exposing your throat. Uh, you're just asking for a bad night, plain and simple. Ezekiel chokes. Ezekiel chokes can work, but it, in order for you to make them work, you have to have a solid understanding of your foundation, a solid understanding that you are going to let the person pass your guard to get inside of control so they can choke themselves out. You've already established, established your grips. Yeah. yeah. You've already established your choke. You've already established your grip. Now it's just a matter of you letting the other person execute the route that you want them to the take. The yeah. Uh, but again, that takes that takes a lot of experience to get away with. Um, and even when you have a lot of experience, a lot of times it doesn't go your way. You're still too exposed. So I don't recommend that. Uh, side control, if you're on the bottom, it's all about you preventing your opponent from hugging you properly with their arms that's you know one way to look at it because if you can control one of the elbows and and manipulate it you can create a lot of space and you can create a lot of submission opportunities as you escape mm -hmm. not because you create the submission and then you escape okay um so no yeah no cross chokes no ezekiel chokes not 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 yet What's, let's see, moving on to the next one. Um, I can always get to the guillotine choke when I face a wrestler and they shoot a double leg on me, but I cannot finish it. Mm. What am I doing wrong? Well, that's a pretty easy and hard question <laughs> to answer. Um, there's so many nuances, so many scenarios. Um, let's see. The most obvious one that I can think of from my experience is, yes, the person did manage to get to the guillotine choke, but instead of them squeezing the throat, you know, collapsing the trachea, they are flexing their forearms. And, and that just spells disaster. And arching into them. And arching into them, yeah, yeah. Um... You have to fight for your hand placement. Once you have your hand placement underneath that chin uh, and you have your grips, it's about you collapsing their throat. Meaning you have to bring your wrist up to your shoulder, you know, like up into your chest or your chest down into your wrist. You have to collapse that, make that gap smaller, uh, like a vice grip. And a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people in the beginning or even people who just guillotines are not a thing they don't understand it and it's because of that they don't understand that they have to chop you know like like a vice grip they have to crunch down onto the back of the neck and in front of the throat to create the guillotine effect that's why i call a guillotine but a lot of people will get antsy and they will squeeze thinking at least thinking that but they're just flexing their forearms mm -hmm. um and and pulling up yeah back, yeah lifting which is, which yeah is taking making more space making more space and making it easier for the person to finish the double leg mm -hmm. so they can like look up and... <laughs> yeah yeah you don't want to do that best thing you can do against a wrestler when you get to guillotine is get the guillotine position and sprawl okay sprawl and as they are recovering their base then you can pull guard to finish the choke if it has to get to that point most of the time when you sprawl and you have a clean guillotine as they try to pull themselves back, they're going to choke themselves. 
okay? Um, so be aware of that. Keeping your elbows in, that kind of stuff. So moving on to the next one. I feel sluggish when I train. What can I do to help me feel not sluggish? Hmm. Well, that's a couple, couple things that could be happening there. Um, I would say one, probably... You're eating something. I was say, don't eat. <laughs> you're eating right before you come. You're eating, yeah. You're eating right before you come and to heavy. practice. Yeah, you're eating something heavy. Um, if you have to eat something, what can they eat? Just eat something light, you know, or such as that, I don't know, like some, uh, you know, some peanut butter and some carrots or some apples or something that's going to give you some glucose and some energy. Um, and some fat with it so that you kind of get a, a longer uh, expansion of your glucose dumping instead of it just spiking up and going right down. Okay. Um, and don't eat a lot because that makes you feel sluggish. Mm-hmm. When you, your stomach is full, don't Digesting. want your stomach to be full. Yeah. And when you digest, you're, you're using up energy that you could use to actually perform. Yeah, I personally cannot eat at all at least three hours before i train mm-hmm. i mean i don't eat anything this kind of goes into if the I'm uh, eat lunch then i eat i eat a lot though i eat mm-hmm. a big breakfast i eat a lot of lunch um but i have to have been finished eating and be done at least three hours before i go right but see that's you and hydrated but that's you figuring out your body you know well, and you, hydrated you, like right. i i can't um i don't know everybody is different but I don't, I can't, you better be hydrated before you go. And that, you're not going to get hydrated a couple hours before you go. You have to be hydrating from the day before. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know about you, but I I'm, can't down. But I see guys do all the time, though, like down a half a gallon of water. I couldn't do that. My stomach would be sloshing around and it would mm-hmm. take my concentration off of what I was doing. Like I, I like to be light and quick and focused mm-hmm. so i like to have you know you shouldn't go hungry because then you're going to be thinking oh god i'm so hungry i can't wait till this is over so i can mm-hmm. eat you know and i honestly don't drink any water during training like if we train mm-hmm. for three hours i might take a couple of sips but i'm not going to sit there and down water because i'm hydrated mm-hmm. i'm hydrated before i even get there yeah but would... everybody's different i see guys down water and they can just go on their merry way i yeah. don't know how they don't throw up but well i mean like rule of thumb especially with water is that um you should not be you shouldn't be uh seeking to drink a lot of water when you are practicing if you're hydrated like, yeah, like, you said, like a sip should be. You've already done your homework. Yeah, right. sip. Yeah, you need sips of water because you may get caught in mouth. You know, you may. Yeah, you, just need, you need something sip. to moisturize yourself again. And a lot of times, in practice, when you think you need water, it's not that you need it. It's just the idea that you need something to maybe cool off. Or cool off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, before by the time practice comes, I've drank like ten cups of water. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's true. Um, well, I was going to say, another thing, too, is you may not be getting enough rest. You know? That's the, probably the second most common. <laughs> yeah, people don't get enough rest. You know, you for whatever reason, maybe you're staying up late and you're just not getting rest. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, 
take a day off from training and go rest. Yeah. Don't take the day off from training and go do some other activity because you feel like you're going to be missing out on being physical. Mm-hmm. That's how you get hurt. Take a rest. Take a day off. Like you said, go to sleep. Yeah, you know? sleeping is very underrated. I mean, you've got to sleep and get enough yeah. rest for sure. Yeah, I would, I would rather have guys take a day off from training and go to bed extra early and be ready to go the next day. Then them constantly just dragging in, dragging in, and be like, "I made it! I made it five days a week today." But half fast the whole time. Yeah, half fast the whole time, and you can't retain any of the information. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you are fully rested, you probably won't remember what you learned when you were half assing it in class, and that is a fact, and that is actual psychological uh, facts right there. <laughs> that, um. In the state of mind that you're in when you learn something, mm-hmm. that is how you will remember it for the rest of your life. Really? Yeah. I don't know about that. That's why they say, like, that's why you have to develop good uh, studying habits, like when you're in school. Mm-hmm. So that's why they say you have to come in, be prepared, mind focused, clear headed, don't think of anything else except what's on the board, write down your notes, study, 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 right? That's how it is. And so when it comes time for you to, like, do the test, same thing you come in head clear you ate you know you did your routine and it's just another day you just do it again you just have to regurgitate the information back and that's why a lot of college students when they get drunk they come to class drunk hungover they can't remember when it's test day so they have to get drunk before the test yeah yeah there is i don't i don't know this guy i believe that because (laughs) because I don't believe that. So if you get high and you go to class, then you need to get high when you take the test. Yes. That does not work. Yes. I don't yes, believe that. Yes. Um, I don't know this guy personally, but it's like a friend of a friend, okay? He said this guy would come to class during the college years. He would come to class, get all the material that he needed, all the notes, whatever, but because he was working full time, a lot of the times he wasn't able to come to class. Mm-hmm. So he would just get all the all the stuff from the professors. He said, but he would test extremely well. He would always pass every class. And his thing was, like, three days before the actual test, he would get done with work, stop at the liquor store on his way to, to the house, get a six-pack, you know, do his dinner, take a shower, everything else, and it's time to study. He would shut himself in his room, and he would be drinking his beer as he would be studying and reading. Okay, so he'd be drunk, and he'd pass out. He would do that like three days before, and then during uh, test time, on the way to the test, he would stop at the liquor store, get his uh, six pack, and drink it in the parking lot, and walk in and take all of his tests yeah, and well, just he's be like. Just <laughs> And be like 100% in everything. Well, think of how smart he would be if he wasn't getting drunk. <laughs> well, what he said is like when he was sober, he could not remember a lick. Sounds like he's an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> he could not remember anything, any of the material. And we would always wonder like how the hell are you getting like a 4.0 GPA? And he's just like, I don't know. I just do, man. I just get drunk. I don't know. That's not good advice. Now, that's not good. I'm not saying don't do that or do that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. It happens. <laughs> uh, it goes back to training. You know, it's how how you prepare yourself. Uh, what's another thing that might happening that you may feel sluggish? Well, um, 
and you say you may ate something heavy, you drinking too much water during the class. Not getting enough rest. Not getting enough rest. That's probably. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, that's about it. At, at barring injury, but that's I would say the three main things. So if you just mind those things, you'd be okay. Well, I, I think it matters what you're eating, also. That's true. I mean, you can't just eat a bunch of crap or something that's got a lot. Of, you know, Energy I drinks. get so many people <laughs> that will eat like sugar. Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, they're really good, and then they're like, just drop, man, yeah. like hardcore. And from, I'm like, from a, why would you do that? From a coaching point of view, like when I am doing instruction and demonstrating a technique the number of people that are fighting tooth and nail to stay awake is unreal yeah and those are also the same people that don't understand the material because they can't pay attention yeah they yeah they're sleeping they're either sleeping or they are or they're too focused on fighting not to be asleep yeah um, I don't know about energy drinks because I've never had one. But mm-hmm. I don't. I. I don't know. I, I. I. Don't think they're good for you. I've never had one, so mm-hmm. I can't imagine. I see guys on energy drinks while they're sparring, and if they could only see themselves the way other people see them, they wouldn't be drinking them. I wouldn't say. They'd be embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I would say energy drinks now are the biggest. You want to talk about breaking concentration, like just going 110 miles an hour yeah. and not absorbing anything. Because it goes back to kind of like what I said earlier, you know, by you taking a test, you remember how your state of mind was when you learned the material. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same thing when you're training. Like if you're amped up on your energy drinks and you come to train and you're, you know, you're sparring it, you're, you're moving, you're learning those moves, and then you go down to, let's say, a tournament where they don't allow you to have an energy drink mm-hmm. <laughs> and now your body's like oh shit oh shit like yeah uh like i don't know what to do well i think that i don't know if that's so much as remembering but when you're used to training on energy drinks all the time mm-hmm. and then you get into a situation um where you can't have one i mean that just doesn't make sense like like if you're an mma fighter yeah you know and this happens all the time and People train on energy drinks constantly, and, so, and, and sometimes, you can have an energy yeah, drink and sometimes not just energy drinks, but it's like pre-workout, pre-workout, post-workout, energy drinks, coffee. They're all sugar. I mean, it's just I, constant sugar bombardment. It's caffeine. Yeah, caffeine. Yeah, you can never let your body rest. But then, but then, when you have your MMA fight, you can't have an energy drink. Can't. So how how can you judge or or gear your performance? When you're performing hyped up in the gym and then you go to an actual fight and you're not in the same physical um, or mental mental, I would say, yeah. Um, situation. Yep. Like you don't have that push because you don't have that energy drink, you don't have that caffeine, you don't have yeah. all the crap and that I've, you had before. And I mean I've I've heard this a lot from the fighters in the back, you know. Not just from like our fighters, but just fighters in general. You know, when they come back, they're like, man, I just don't know. Like, I just could not. I just couldn't find the, the gas today. I just yeah. couldn't push it. I trained so hard for the last three months, and I just felt like my body was just dead weight today. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Yeah, and it's like, well, no shit, man. Like, you can't do pre-workout powders or drinks before the fight. That's illegal. You know, you can't do it afterwards, well, any of that you stuff. Can, you, you can do it 
hours before, but I don't know if it makes any difference. <laughs> I gonna, yeah, I mean, you can go that route. What's but in that stuff? Caffeine? Caffeine. Sugar? Sugar, yeah. Yeah, but if you're one of the lucky few that get, you know, randomly selected. That's the pre-workout. They make it sound like it's like vitamins and minerals and it's stuff. Not, it's not. It's, it's like caffeine. Workout, it's just caffeine. It's like three, 300% caffeine in a little scoop. Oh. And you mix it into like an eight ounce water bottle. Mm. And it's already flavored. Oh. You know, and then you shake it up and you drink that like 30 minutes before you actually work out. Then what's the post-workout stuff? Recovery. I know, but what was It's the same it? stuff, really. It's caffeine too? Yeah, it's pretty much the same How thing. does that help you recover? Because caffeine opens up your veins. Oh my goodness. So, oh my gosh. That's so you're why artificially opening your veins yeah, that's what, and yeah, that's getting what you're doing. more blood pumped in. Yep. So that way... I would have a heart attack. That's why you. a lot of people feel I that would. really nice, warm, fuzzy feeling throughout their body. You know, when they take wow. those pre-workouts, they'll wait about five minutes and they're just like, oh, just the blood rush goes to their body. Wow. And they feel warm and they feel ready to go and they feel sharp as a tool and ready wow. to go. Well, yeah, you're getting like pumped. Your heart is working harder. Um, yeah, I'd have a heart attack. And same thing after post-workout. If you actually physically go 100% and you're exhausted, people will take another scoop of the post-workout and, oh, I feel normal again. Huh. Yeah, that's not good for you. Again, going back instead of like actually resting and eating good, that's your main priority. But uh, you know, but some people will say that, well, that doesn't work for me. Well, that's them. Yeah. You know, I, I don't well, know. Don't it works for me. I really, <laughs> I don't have much problem. When well, I'm, don't complain that you're sluggish. When I'm in the gym, but switch brands. <laughs> I don't like to be all hyped up either, though. You know, I used I used to in the beginning when I first started, you know, not knowing anything about nutrition, not knowing anything better. I mean, I, I remember some of the guys, they're like, yeah, if you take this, if you buy this powder, it's a pre-workout. You feel fantastic when you train. Like, How long does it last? I don't know. But I tried it and I could not sleep for three days straight. Wow. And that was just one cup. Like I took one, one scoop. scoop. One little scoop and put it in a water bottle and mixed it up and everything. And yeah, I felt fantastic. I was like cloud nine, man. Hmm. I've never been high. I've never taken any drugs, but I'm sure that's some how they feel because I felt awesome. <laughs> like, but you couldn't sleep for three days. I could not sleep at all for three days. I was so amped up. And that was just from one scoop. That's not me doing the post-workout recovery or anything like that. That mm-hmm. was just a pre-workout. Um... And then when energy drinks came about, boy, I was addicted to those things. I would, I would uh, drink one right before we get practice started. I would sip on one throughout training, and then about thirty minutes after I get done, I would drink another one. And that was like every day. You were drinking three a day. Yeah, every day, and then it got to the point that I couldn't go to sleep so I had to you know get up and go to school and go to work I would drink another one to wake me up so now I was up to like four a day oh my goodness and then it got to a point where I was shaking all the time yeah you know it there there's something to say about you know understanding the health of your body that even though you may feel good and you may be able to think straight, you may be able to have energy, 
Um, but what is it doing to your body? You know, like you can't just keep mm-hmm. piping your body up, piping your body up, piping your body up. You know, your body has to rest. That that's one thing. That's the thing that really bothers me is that um, you don't know when you need to rest. Yeah, you don't. You don't know when you're overtrained. You yeah. don't know when your muscles are over mm-hmm. done. You know, like we'll put it this way: when I finally realized what was happening. And I made a conscious decision to stop. Like I'm but not. You had a headache. Oh, I had headaches. I was dizzy. I mean, I was shaking all the time, and uh, so I went cold turkey. And you no, know, when you stopped, did you have a headache? Oh yeah, man, I was sweating profusely. Wow. I had an immense headache. Um, I was sore. I bet. All the time, and I probably fell asleep for like the next two days, to be honest. Yeah. You know how long it would take for you to recover from the sleep that you didn't have and the overworking of your muscles in your body? Put it this way. Uh, I had... Um, it gave me diarrhea. Hmm. Because I was not drinking anymore. And I was drinking water. So I stopped cold turkey on the morning. And I was like, I'm going to force myself to drink like a gallon of water today. And I was drinking water, drinking water, trying to go about my normal day. I had to go home from work. Cause I couldn't function. I was stuttering. Because, <laughs> oh, you know, it's like the comedians when they make, you know, fun of like the crackheads. Mm. That's how I felt like I was, I was acting. Hmm. I was like. Uh, uh, <laughs> just... You were, you were coming off of something. <laughs> yeah. Man. yeah. And when I finally managed to like relax a little bit, I slept for about two days straight. Hmm. It was, it was unreal. And from that moment on, I was just like, I, I'm, I'm not going to do this again. It is so bad. Hmm. Well, once you get start taking them regularly like that, it's you can't. It's hard to stop. Yeah, and I would say like later on, a couple of years later, I did try to drink one again. I don't know why. I think I felt like I wonder if it'll affect me like differently now that I'm older. You know, mm-hmm. my body's more mature. And I mean, I will tell you what, I got a lot of stuff done that that day, but I could not function for like the next three days. Hmm. My body craved it so much. Oh, wow. Like, all I could think about was that energy drink. And I was like, wow, I am addicted to these things. If I drink another energy drink, I'm sure I will be addicted to it again. Hmm. But, yeah, people will do that, too. I feel that way about caffeine in general. That's That's why I don't drink it. So, but that's another reason why people might feel sluggish is they drink. Well, here's another thing, too. It's like, they will maybe drink the energy drink or the pre-workout. They don't know how to regulate themselves, their breathing. So now they go all out the first 30 minutes, and then they just take the dip. That dive. dive. Yeah. All right. So let's see. What's another one? Um, oh, this is a, I think it's a good one. I'm thinking of competing for the first time. How is training different than that of actual competition? Well... Where do I begin? <laughs> I don't know, cause I, I train like I compete. <laughs> um, well, first and foremost, you are going to be nervous and scared, and or scared, because you will realize it, it will dawn on you that holy shit, the other person in front of you also trains. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, two, you realize that there's a lot of people there, even though they're not looking at you. You imagine them constantly staring at you. That's that's 
some of the things I've heard people say, and that freaks them out. Yeah, but the question is, though, how do you train differently? No. Oh. How is it different from training and competing? Oh, from training and competing. Yeah. Um, oh, it's totally different. Yeah. I would say it's 90% mental, to be honest, the first couple times. Um, and it's for sure, if you've never competed before, it's definitely mental. Uh, two, you're going to second-guess yourself a lot going into it. That's just the way it is. You're going to ask yourself, did I train hard enough? Did I train long enough? Did I do enough repetitions? Um, it, did I listen to my coaches? Did I listen to my training partners? Um, oh, hell, my wife's going to be there. Oh, hell, my, you know, my grandma, my my grandma yeah, you know, whoever's going to be there. Crap, you know, the, my best friend who I've been bragging about to is going to be there and he's going to see how much of a dumbass I am, you know. All that's going to go through your mind. Best advice is forget it. Don't even think about that. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but focus on what you can control. That is the most important thing. That is the biggest thing that you can do when you compete, even your first time, especially your first time, such as what you eat, right? Yeah, and it's so hard to mm -hmm. to um, eat when you're competing. Um, know that you will be nervous and you will probably take in a lot of unneeded bathroom breaks leading up to your matches. Mm -hmm. I've been training for a long time and I've been competing just as long. And to this day, I still go to the bathroom more than I wish I could or than, than I should. Uh, and it's just because it's just my, just nerves. my nerves. So I've turned it into my routine. Really, I've made, I made peace with that. And so I go to the bathroom, twinkle a little bit, eh, not a big deal, and come back out. And then I know like in 10 minutes, I'm going to want to go to the bathroom again, twinkle a little bit more, and then come back. And I will do that. And and then about 10 minutes before I'm actually ready to go to the match, the feeling for me having to go to the bathroom stops. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've, I've had many years already of practice for that. So that's just become one of my routines. Um, what's another thing? Uh, so again, try to control, try to do the things that you can control, you know, what you eat, what you drink, resting, uh, resting um, uh, what you're going to wear. A lot of times it's just people is just, you know, are they going to wear the t-shirt, the favorite t-shirt? That's fine. Um, like you said, staying warm because it's going to be cold mm -hmm. in there. It's probably about 65 degrees. That may not seem like much, but it gets very cold when you're just standing around waiting. Mm -hmm. um, have a warm-up routine. You should already have a warm-up routine down by the time you compete. And if you don't, that's something that you need to add on to your repertoire, to, mm -hmm. to things that you can control. Uh, I know for myself and the guys that I train and I compete with, it's we use the same warm-up routine, or I have them do the same warm-up routines that I do every night. In, in practice you know the stretching calisthenics isometrics uh breathing really hard breathing slow just whatever it is just to get it going and get their body familiarized with the fact that they're getting ready to go out and perform another thing that you can do is visualize where you say you may say like well i've never competed what can i visualize well it's simple man like visualize a training session visualize any match any potential thing you can put a face on the other person that you're visualizing 
and beat the crap out of them and always be the winner <laughs> that you have you have no idea like that helps a lot once you get more experience you will visualize specific things like myself like i'm always visualizing um that's just something that i've always done is like i will visualize this person being a really good guard passer and so i'm putting up all my guards i'm doing everything i can you know perfectly and they still manage to pass it this particular way all right so then i will rewind that that visual and i'm like okay so i have to pay attention whenever they grab my legs this way i can defend it by pulling it to the right and then i imagine pulling them to the right and i'm like okay what else can they do from here well they can do this and they can do that and it just kind of goes into that chess match but i can do that because i've already had years and years and years of practice in years and years and years of different scenarios that i can pull from and visualize how my match is going to go so that way when it's time for me to actually get down to it in my mind i've already gone through like thousands of scenarios and i've won every single one of them mm-hmm. so even if something goes wrong during the match i am not surprised because i am ready to get to that next to the next spot mm-hmm. that's going to be in my favor you know um so visualize it and it could be something like you visualizing stepping on the scale you visualizing making your weight uh you visualizing yourself warming up you visualizing listening to the referee looking at the referee looking at your coach anything simple like that you know what i mean it could be something like as simple as you visualizing up in the stands or up in the crowd and you seeing you know if it's your wife your wife or whoever that somebody familiar that you know it's going to be there and you just saying hi to them something like that will make it to where you will be comfortable mm-hmm. um so now thing in practice we have like a gentleman's agreement you know it's where like i'm not going to be a douchebag to you you're not going to be a douchebag to me mm-hmm. you know uh we're going to roll we're going to train to grow to get better uh we're not going to try to compete against each other even though we kind of do you know but it's it's different the intensity is, is different i can always say stop you let me catch my breath and then we continue mm-hmm. gentleman's agreement right we take care of each other in competition it's you're going in there with the intent to hurt and cause as much pain to your opponent to get them to surrender right but with the willingness to stop whenever they say i've had enough mm-hmm. that's kind of like been the biggest revelation that i've had in competing because i know i've this this used to be a big problem for me is i would compete the same way i would train mentally i would go in there and be like oh you know we're gonna get in a scramble whatever but if i get tired i can just coast yeah. and i can coast because my partner's not gonna be a douchebag and they're <laughs> not gonna go 100 percent on me because they can feel me coasting right and the next thing i know man i'd be like getting hammered on man i'd be getting submitted or i'd just be getting crushed and and in my mind i'm like i don't understand why this is happening you you couldn't figure out to turn the switch on correct at least not not with grappling i couldn't figure that out Mm -hmm. because in my mind personally like me personally i didn't view a jiu-jitsu tournament as a fight Fight. coming from doing mma first and then transitioning to grappling Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was really hard for me but once i managed to flip that mental switch oh man it was on it was great like i would put pressure on people with the intent that i was gonna make them uh crap their pants you know like I was gonna leave them be flat, like in the cartoons on the ground. 
And when I was squeezing for a chug, I was with the intent, like, I was going to squeeze their eyeballs out of their skull, mm-hmm. you know? It sounds bad. It sounds gruesome, but it's just the intent, mm-hmm. you know? I went in there with the intent to actually cause that much discomfort and pain so that they could get it over with as soon as possible and say, I've had enough. Stop. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the biggest thing, I would say. Uh, biggest differences there. Um, you know, in practice, it's not like that because if it is, you you won't last long and probably you're going to get jumped by everybody else. <laughs> uh, so, some of the little differences, training and, and competing. Oh, another thing too is, um, uh, gosh, oh, shit. it's, um, no, I can't think it's just that, yeah. People would just be more rough. Oh, for yeah. example. All right, let's see. What's another one? Um, let's see. Oh, first time competing. I don't know which divisions I should sign up for. Gi or no gi? What, 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 can, uh, what kind of advice? What do you think? I think you should do whatever you're comfortable with. Right. For sure. Uh, my advice that I give to everybody in the beginning is if you don't know which one you, you want to compete in, which one you, you're comfortable with and actually competing in, do both, right? Your first tournament, sign up for the gi and the no gi of your weight division. If you don't know because you train both equally and you like them both equally. Sure. But, I mean, if, you, if you're more gi than, and you don't like no gi, don't. You don't have to compete in no gi. No, just do the gi. Yeah, or the other way around. So once once you find out which one you enjoy competing the most, stick with that one. However, I will go a step further. Once you figure that out, which gi or no gi, do your weight and do the open weight. Okay? Um, and I say that just because it's going to help you get out of your comfort level even more um, with something that you're very comfortable in doing. And it's going to help you just, I mean, it'll it'll help you grow, to be honest. It'll help you mature as a grappler more. Uh, I've been a big advocate of doing open weight divisions since day one. And just for the fact that, you know, jiu-jitsu, it's always the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how big, how strong, how flexible, how fast the other person is. You having the right technique with the right timing, you can neutralize all of that. I understand that you're going against another trained individual, which makes it 10 times harder, but the saying is still true. If you can subdue the, another person in the same experience level as you are, they may be heavier than you, your technique is still doing pretty good. Like, that's a good... If you can not get submitted, then at, you've won. <laughs> at the very least, at the very least, if you do not get submitted... If, if you're with somebody that's a t- trained at the same level that you are, but mm-hmm. they're stronger, bigger... That's yep. a huge challenge. Yep. It's a huge disadvantage for you. And if you end up winning, that's fabulous. But yes. if you end up just not getting submitted, yeah, then that's still a win. That means your technique, your awareness, your situational awareness is very good. Like that is something a lot of people don't realize and don't understand. You know, they may say like, "Well, I lost," mm-hmm. but what just if like that was a fight. Yeah, but just like you said, like. Yeah, you lost, but you're not putting it into perspective. Yeah. You lost to another trained individual. Trained person. Yeah. Who, like I said before, 
is with the intent is going with the intent to cause you as much damage yeah. and pain as possible to get you to surrender that's bigger and heavier and yes stronger and who has no qualms about them using their size yeah and you came out on the other end safe yeah it's different when you're going to get somebody that's trained yeah that's a huge thing that's a lot of people don't understand and don't don't realize you know because they're like well i lost I think that's the same way in training too to feel good about yourself is that if you go with somebody that's you know a higher rank than you um, and you didn't get submitted or they're bigger or stronger than you in the same rank as you and they're, they're trained also mm-hmm. you know to me that's like yeah yeah that speaks volumes again that speaks volumes in your self awareness your situational awareness your foundation mm-hmm. you know um, I agree with you on that for sure I know personally when I'm training uh, and when I do train with a lot of um, you know lower experience individuals, I will put myself in the bad positions. I will put myself in the uh, you know just bad positions really, and let the other person work. And like if they if they don't submit me, not because like I know the tricks or whatnot, but if they don't submit me because I preemptively defended it, mm-hmm. then I, yes, I'm doing really good, you know. Like, I, I'm training that for a reason, for example. So when I go with someone my skill level or higher, and they try to go for those same grips, I've already preemptively, you know, am starting to defend. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm already aware of those situations. And I value that for myself more mm-hmm. than me being able to smash someone and just lock him up and put him in all kinds of pretzel holes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's... I think you grow more. Oh yeah. As in that sense. Um. So. Yeah. All right. So um, those were just some of the some questions that uh, we've had, or I've had people ask me throughout some of the years. Common questions that I've had people ask me. Um, if you guys have any questions, again, you can go to Anchor.fm, select or search for in the fray. And you can send your questions or comments to us, and we will be more than happy to answer them on the uh, podcast. With that being said, my name is Edgar. I'm Melissa. And this is In the Fray.